0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 6, 1 through 11. Listen for what God is saying to you. So what are you going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together and with with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The people that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way, we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you, are also, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of the scripture.
1: Stephen. Please join with me in a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks uh, for this day, this morning to be together to explore and just seek out who it is um, and how it is that you are in our lives um, such that we might be able to uh, reflect who you are and um, who we are in you to those around us. So open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Um, And we invite your spirit, we invite your spirit to flow freely through us um, and change us. We all pray this in the name of your son Jesus Christ. Amen. So every once in a while when I uh, come home from being out, I find a pamphlet like this stuck in, uh, tucked into the kind of the door of the building where I live. I have it right here. And maybe you've seen a version of it. Uh, When you open it up, there are a series of questions Did you know that you are in debt because of your sin? Did you realize what your sin debt will cost you for all of eternity? Have you heard that your sin debt has been paid in full? Will you believe the Bible, the record of what God has done for you? Will you trust the eternity of your soul completely to Jesus Christ? And then finally, will you claim the paid in full receipt for your sin debt? And on the back then there are these two boxes that you have the option to check. Uh, One to accept the payment and one to reject the payment. I'm sorry, I meant to cover the name of the church. Um, well, yeah, I, that, wasn't, that was not intentional. Um, so anyway, if you've accepted the payment, if you look really closely, you're supposed to write to the church because it's like 1982 um, and let them know. And then I guess if you check the reject box, you put it on your refrigerator or something because they don't really say what to do with that. So last week, when I was at UBC River North, I, um, and I was talking about uh, salvation. I shared this photo, these photos, and I asked um, that, or and I, I shared how these days I look at things like this and I wonder to myself, what is the point? The theology, the understanding of God behind these kinds of tracts, is not unfamiliar to me. I became a Christian at a non-denominational evangelical Bible church. I prayed the Sinner's Prayer. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was fifteen. I get it. Getting saved is about making a decision. A decision to turn away from a depraved life, a life lived without God and without purpose, to a life lived with God, with Jesus, a life lived with purpose. And so you get these religious tracts um, and they're what they're trying to do is kind of basically like nip you in the bud to get you sort of squared away with Jesus. And and that moment of accepting um, Jesus is really kind of like the 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 point of it all, right? Um, at least for the most part, uh, folks who use these tracks. But the problem with this approach that, is that getting squared away isn't the point, right? Sometimes instead of being a help, I think things like this pamphlet and the sinner's prayer can become a gate, right? They, they can become uh, the only gate that gets you in. And then it becomes about the gate and about getting squared away and not so much about what happens after you walk through the gate. But what happens after you walk through the gate, what happens after you decide that you're going to respond to God's invitation to partnership, what happens when you decide to try out this Jesus thing is actually the starting point for all of that life-giving transformation, that purposeful living that we've been talking about. Saying yes, as we have talked about actually in our starting point small group, isn't the end, it's the beginning. That's why Paul talks about baptism in this morning's passage. Baptism is the symbolic, sacred moment of our journey when we formally say yes. It's when we say, I'm in. And God says, welcome to the relationship. I've been waiting so long for this day. Baptism is when our path and Jesus' path merges, right? Before baptism, Paul says, we are controlled by sin. And when we're baptized, we're freed from the tyranny of the things that create death within us. We're freed from that. When we're baptism, we symbolically experience a death of our old identity, an identity that is enslaved to the values of this world, to things like domination and materialism. And after baptism, we have a new identity as someone who is not controlled by the brokenness of this world, who has not someone who doesn't have to prove their worth, but as someone whose first name is Beloved and second name is Partner. But baptism isn't just about you and God. It's it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and everyone else who accepts Jesus' invitation, God's invitation. Baptism is when the community of saints, the community of saints, which is the believers across space and time, those who are no longer with us in body and those who have yet to join us in body, when the community of saints receive you and say, Welcome. Welcome to the community. Welcome to the work, capital W, work of wholeness of life for all. We are so glad to have you with us and to struggle together. We will help you do this thing, and we hope we hope that you'll help us do it too. Baptism is when we join with God and all the followers of Jesus in this project of shalom, of wholeness of life for all. Baptism is the moment when you realize we're all in this together, right? And why is it important? Why is it important that we're in this together? Well, the short answer is because it's hard. Partnering with God is hard. It's difficult. Baptism is the starting point. It's ground zero, right? This is, it's, it's the, the old church's version of the gate, right? You get through, you walk through, and when you, the moment you walk through the gate, you are a new person. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. But what happens after baptism is where the real action is. Life after walking through the gate, life lived forward, as God's beloved. This is what we're talking about today. Another word for this life lived forward is sanctification. So the word sanctification means being made holy. But I, I think that sometimes that can trip people up, right? Like you might be thinking, I don't want to be holy. <laughs> because in your mind, being holy might look like wearing a big church hat or going, not going out with friends or swapping out all of your secular music for Christian music which is what I did in college, and I feel very sad about that, Um, or having to read Christian literature, which often, uh, well, Christian genre literature, right? Which often can be difficult. Uh, (laughs) Sanctification, granted, might actually look like that in your life, so I'm not gonna hate too hard on that, but but if that's where you're led, right? But But what sanctification is really about is your movement forward toward living more fully into this new identity. Um, as someone who not only belongs to God, but also who partners with God, right? So you don't just belong to God. You also partner with God. And that's the, the part of after walking through the gate. And this is the difference that, um, and this is different than someone who just obeys God, right? So listen closely here. God isn't looking for mindless people to obey. God is looking for thoughtful, conscious people who will contribute to the project of shalom. God is not looking for mindful people, mindless people. God is looking for mindful people, actually. Conscious people. Conscious people who will contribute to the project of wholeness of life for all. So Paul uses this word in verse four. And in the Greek, it's peripatian. Can you say that? Parapatean. Thank you, good job. Um, so it shows up, actually, this word peripatian shows up a lot in a lot of his letters. And roughly, it means to walk about. Here, uh, in, in our passage for today, in verse 4, it's translated as, we too can walk in newness of life. So, Paul is drawing from his training as a Jewish scholar. Remember last week, Rich talked about how Paul is speaking out of his lens of having grown up as a, as a Jew and, and then being trained um, in the Jewish uh, scholarly tradition. So, uh, the Jewish understanding of this word would be more along the lines of actually conscious ethical conduct. Um, and here's a few examples of where this concept of parap- that gets uh, translated into this word "parapetian" shows up in the Old Testament. First is um, 2 Kings 10.3. Look for the best and most capable, uh, most capable would be where that shows up, of your master's sons. Place him on the throne. Uh, Psalm 86.11. Teach me your way, Lord, so that I can walk in your truth. Proverbs 8.20. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of Of justice these are just a few examples but you can see that when Paul talks about Peripatian in the context of this sort of culture right and this way of thinking it's about more than blind obedience there's a kind of consciousness a capacity for decision-making that goes beyond just knowing the rules right it's an awareness that helps good Christian people see the line between just and unjust laws right it's the kind of awareness that leads to things like civil disobedience or protests. But sometimes it can be hard to figure out, right? There are gray areas in our life. And so this practice of peripate and this practice of walking with consciousness really requires a lot of work so that we can hone our minds and our spirits to have a capacity for discernment, right? To know which laws are just and which laws are unjust, for example, and it's kind of like feeling a flow, right? Because you don't, you can't. If you made a checklist, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work, right? You kind of have to like feel the flow of it. So, I'll I'll give you an example. I like to think of myself as, um, if not a good dancer, at least a confident dancer. <laughs> um, I can rock a pretty mean two-step, right? And I'm even able to throw in a little bit of like extra pizzazz in the like electric slide, right? And. <laughs> So there's, but there's this one dance that I just can't seem to get and I have tried, okay. This dance I'm sorry to say is the wobble. There is something about the wobble, right, like a flow or this like an extra invisible beat that I just can't like completely catch. And sometimes I get it and I feel like I'm there, right, I'm in the zone. But then like most of the times people I think just sort of feel bad for me. (laughs) I mean, I'll still jump in and join the group, um, but I know that I'm doing it wrong. I'm like, follow, I'm like really closely, and I, but I can tell that something is off. But I keep trying because it's like a cool dance and maybe I'll catch on before it goes out of style. But the whole reason why I'm bringing this up is that sanctification, living more fully into the person that God has created you to be, is kind of like doing the wobble or dancing, right? So you can follow the steps exactly, right? Um, but it's not just about the steps, right? There's like an extra something, an extra groove to living a life of faith. And I like to think of this as you doing you while you're doing faith. In a way, this is what the word "parapatean is about. It's about knowing the way, knowing the steps, right, and then adding your you-ness your thoughts and questions, your intelligence and imagination, your experiences to it all. But first, you have to know—you actually have to know the moves, right? You can't be doing like the boot scootin' boogie and call it the polka, because that's a recipe for disaster, possibly war, depending on the country. So knowing the steps, knowing what sanctification looks like can give you a sense of whether or not you're on the right track. Um, So if you're wondering where to start how, or kind of to measure, like, how you're doing on your journey, here are a few, I'm going to give you a few markers of maturity in faith to help you kind of get a sense of, like, have I at least got the steps down, right? Um, So the first one is a complex understanding of the Bible. The Bible is not a magical answer book. Did you, and be honest, did you ever ask God a question close your eyes, open your Bible to a random page, and put your finger down, hoping it would answer, lead you to an answer. Yes. Of course. OK, so I'm not alone. Let me put it that way. So but then what happens if you put your finger down, and then you find yourself looking at something like this? Right? Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle doe. That's, what, what, what does that have to do with, with, uh, you know, my, with what college I should go to? right? Uh, So the Bible is not a magical book, a magical answer book. It's a complicated and messy collection of experiences and observations that people have about who God has been and how God has been in the world, right? It's a record, it's a record of God's pursuit of us and our response. Reading the Bible on our own and hearing how other people read the Bible helps us to grow in depth and richness of faith. When we're surprised or challenged or even troubled by Scripture, when we wrestle with Scripture, there's a sign, that's a sign that we're being sanctified, actually. When we're struggling with it. It's not a sign that you don't don't get it and you're not a good enough Christian. Okay? The willingness that you have to engage it and to listen to other people, even when you're sort of like, that sounds pretty whack, right? Like, but you're still staying and you're in the conversation, you're wrestling with it. That is a sign of maturity in faith. So the second marker of uh, maturity in faith is a prayer life that changes you. The purpose of prayer is to be in communion with God. And sometimes that involves words, and sometimes that involves silence, right? Sometimes that means crying out in pain, and sometimes that means crying out in praise. If the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, what we often call the Lord's Prayer, if that's our model, then we know that prayer is humbling, that it's hopeful, that it's demanding, that we demand something, we ask for something. Give us this day our daily bread. And that it's challenging. Forgive us our debts as I forgive my debtors, right? Those who have trespassed against me. It's a sign that you are a maturing Christian in prayer that um, when you find yourself coming ready to pray, uh, to learn the difference between what you want and what you need between what you want and what you need and in the midst of your meditations being ready to hear how you are being called to participate in god's work so the third mark is living in freedom and this one i think is pretty straightforward a sign that you are maturing as a christian is that you find yourself experiencing greater freedom i know that some of us have um are not experiencing freedom because of external structures and circumstances. But this is a different kind of freedom, a freedom from the terror of having to live up to the expectations of those around you, um, the freedom from having to feel like you have to win God's favor, freedom from the insecurities and fears that prevent you from being vulnerable or authentic with the people around you, freedom from your hurts um, and even your sense of entitlement that God owes you or that other people owe you, freedom from those things to serve, to serve God and to serve others. Freedom to be forgiven and to forgive others. To, isn't that an interesting thing to think about being freed to be forgiven? How many of us sort of have built our identity around um, not being forgiven around something? Um, about this, everything is fine except for this little like, place of shame in my life, right? Can you allow yourself to experience freedom from that? The fourth mark is expanded community. So we know that we are growing when we find ourselves standing in solidarity with ever wider circles of people, people that we never thought we'd be in relationship with. When we can make connections across difference, when we grow to see that my salvation is bound up in your salvation, even though you are totally outside of my sphere of experience or relationship, even sometimes at the cost of what I want, or what I think would be better for me, if you're willing to be in community and stand in solidarity, that's a sign that you are maturing in faith. And I'll give one example. So, um, you know, the tension between uh, Black Lives Matter and all lives matter, right? Um, Yes, all lives matter. But there's a particular reason, right, why Black Lives Matter is a hashtag. And the sign of a maturing Christian might be, Moving from that all lives matter space to say, oh, what I want, what I need, is actually less important in this, at least in this instance, than my brothers and sisters over here who actually have a deeper need and are experiencing something much more um, uh, violent than what I am experiencing, and to not and to to own that and to hold that um, and say, you know, I'm going to give up even even if I don't understand, I'm going to give up that platform so that I can stand in solidarity with people. Um, who I love, who I am in relationship with, or even not in relationship with, but because my faith calls me to something bigger, right? Finally, uh, not finally, there's two more, Uh, the second to last is um, thankfulness and joy. In our starting point group a few weeks ago, each of us um, shared an experience of grace uh, that we had had over the past week. That was kind of how we opened our time. And just about each time that someone shared, there was uh, kind of an expression of how thankful they were for the experience And I'd say this is not a coincidence, right? For most of us, uh, each experience of grace that we have leaves us feeling thankful and joyful. Not joyful in the happy sense, because sometimes you experience joy in a much deeper sense, right? A deeper kind of contentedness, um, a deep sense of something like, yeah, life might be really hard right now, but I don't feel alone, but I feel like it's somehow worth it. Uh, Because God is walking with me. Because there's still something out there for me. Because community is walking with me. Thankfulness and joy. Finally, a sign that you are growing and uh, mature in your faith is that you are living in creative hope. Christians live by the promise of God, and that promise is incredibly creative, right? This problem says nothing is wasted in your life. I will take everything about you, your mistakes and your victories. Your shameful experiences and your most proudest moments. I will take it all. I'll take it all. And I will create something um, that is uniquely you and uniquely life-giving that will come out of it. All of those things. Mature Christians, or maturing Christians at least, embrace a hope that refuses to check out, right? A hope that says, I can't give up no matter how bad things get in this world because God is doing something. God is doing something, even through my small contribution to help wholeness of life be real for everyone. So maybe some of you are thinking, okay, I've got numbers one, four, and five down, but the rest are pretty weak. (laughs) On one hand, it's great to want to grow, and these are really helpful markers for you to kind of, you know, check yourself, right? But remember that these are just The dance steps right these are just the dance steps it's up to you to own these in a way that makes sense for who you are and how god has been moving in your life and they aren't only the steps they aren't the only marks of of faith right there are others these are just ones that i'm identifying for you but they're a pretty good place to start right the end point the big vision that we are moving toward is a world where everyone can know the fullness of life that Jesus demonstrated in his ministry, right? Financial liberation, physical healing, uh, restoration into community. These are things that Jesus dedicated his ministry to, and that's what fullness of life looks like, right? What Paul is trying to get the believers in Rome to understand is this. The first step to making that vision a reality is to accept the the invitation to partnership with God and with the community of believers. But the second step, the second step is to start dancing. Let us pray. God, we know that um, sometimes we get the steps right and sometimes we really, really get them wrong. But we thank you that you still dance with us anyway and that you invite us out onto the dance floor We ask that you would order our steps, that you would help us to grow and mature as followers of you um, so that we can not just be called beloved, but that we can also be called partner with you in this work. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.